Today is March 17th. On this day in history, March 17, 1559, John Calvin's friend and successor in Geneva, Theodore Beza, was admitted into citizenship in Geneva, whereupon he took over a pastorate of one of the city churches. Beza had been called a year earlier to Geneva by Calvin to serve as a Greek professor at the high school, which was established in 1558. But Beza became the rector of the academy once it opened and both the academy and his pastorate flourished while Beza was in Geneva. Only a few years before Calvin's passing, it was Beza who made the academy a place where men from all around the world came to receive a reformed education to prepare for the ministry. In some ways, the academy was Calvin's crown jewel of his life's work devoted to the Reformation, and to Beza was passed the mantle of leadership. Beza was inseparable from Calvin, no matter how far he might roam from Geneva, to plead for the Protestant faith before kings, princes, and other members of nobility. Beza is considered to have been a statesman, a scholar, and a churchman, all wrapped up in one, the perfect successor to Calvin to continue the growth of the Reformation. Interestingly, Beza came from good stock. The village in which he was born was the site of Bernard's sermon to Louis VII and his vassals, where the king and his knights took an oath to become crusaders. That year was 1146. Beza's father was the county bailiff, carrying great authority. But now at 40 years old, Beza had been destined by God to give his life's work to the calls of the Reformation in Geneva. The city of Geneva maintained peace and prosperity under Beza, who took over for Calvin once he died. The academy produced students who graduated and went all places preaching the word so that the Reformed Church of France was built up. It was almost as if the spirit of Calvin kept running as the baton was passed to Beza. He preached and lectured as Calvin did. He provided leadership to the city as Calvin had done. He continued to receive Reformed refugees from France and other countries to teach them the Reformed faith just as Calvin did. The venerable company of pastors, that is the name of the Presbytery of Geneva, knew Beza would succeed Calvin. In fact, Calvin had made arrangements a year before he died for Beza to be his successor. Once Calvin died, Beza performed his funeral and then wrote a biography of his friend and famed reformer. But I want us to focus on one aspect of Beza's life, that is his role as rector of the academy in Geneva. Under Beza's leadership, the academy became the most famous school for theological training in the world. One historian has written that under Beza's leadership, Geneva became the virtual capital of continental Protestantism. Now, of course, the groundwork had been laid by the strong hands of Calvin. And though the school, church, and city flourished in Geneva under Beza's leadership, there is an ironic twist to the story. One of Beza's pupils was none other than Jacob Arminius. After graduating from Geneva, Arminius returned to his native Holland to pastor. He later became a professor of theology. Arminius lived a fairly obscure life until he preached some controversial sermons on Romans 9. Shortly thereafter, he attacked the Calvinistic notions of supralapsarianism and predestination. He did not altogether deny predestination, but he taught a concept foreign to Calvinism called prevenient grace, which attached power to the will of man in believing in God. Arminius died in 1609, but his descent from Calvinistic orthodoxy gained traction among a number of his followers. This takes us to the Remonstrance of 1610. The Dutch ministers who agreed with Arminius no longer had their leader to protect them. 
fearing excommunication since they held to the minority position of the church and their beliefs, they made an appeal to the government describing their beliefs and pleading for state-sanctioned toleration within the church for their views. Their appeal contained five points of doctrine. These points later became known as the five points of Arminianism. In 1611, the following year, the Orthodox Calvinists came up with the counter-remonstrance in response. The response contained seven counterpoints. Now later, the Synod of Dort reduced it to five points, and these points became known as the five points of Calvinism. But as historian Robert Godfrey has noted, Calvinism has never summarized itself in five points. True Calvinism is much broader than five points and is contained in numerous confessions, including but not limited to the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Westminster Confession of Faith. To quote Godfrey again, to be very accurate, Calvinism does not have, and never has had, five points. Rather, Godfrey says, it has five answers to the five errors of Arminianism. All of this reminds us that precision in our theology is of utmost importance. Clarity and conviction go together and must not be divorced. It is perhaps ironic that one of the greatest scholars of Reformed Calvinistic thinking, that is Beza, was the professor to a man behind the genesis of what we call Arminianism. Jacob Arminius went to the grave with his heresy. But what about Beza? Would he remain a precise Orthodox theologian until the end? Well, the story goes of a representative of the Roman Catholic Church visiting the aged and dying Beza, urging him to recant his Protestantism. The year was 1597. Offering Beza money promised by the Pope, which included a yearly pension of 4,000 gold crowns and a sum of money twice as much the value of what Beza was worth at the time, proved to fail. Finally, Beza, who listened patiently, told this priest to go back to Rome with a rebuke containing the words, and I quote, Go, sir, I am too old and too deaf to be able to hear such words, end quote. But soon a rumor swirled that Beza, along with his reformed generals, were on their way to Rome to return to Roman Catholicism and recant Protestantism. In September of 1597, a crowd of people waited by the gate of their city, on the route rumored to be that of Beza and his company on the way to Rome, in order to receive them. But Beza and his friends never came. Then it was said that he had died, but before so had made peace with the Roman Catholic Church, having received official pardon. But when the friends of Beza heard these ill-founded rumors, they responded by saying that Beza was in fact not dead, and not only that, but that he was the most committed Calvinist alive. Now John Calvin describes Beza in a letter to William Farrell written in 1551, where Calvin says, and I quote, I would not be a man if I did not return his love who loves me more than a brother and reveres me as a father but I am still more concerned at the loss the church would suffer if in the midst of his career he should be suddenly removed by death. For I saw in him a man whose lovely spirit, noble pure manners, and open-mindedness endeared him to all the righteous." But Beza's commitment to Calvinism, we must understand, was not a commitment to a mere man. Beza was a man of the word as Calvin was a man of the word, and both went to their graves as precise orthodox theologians. The truth was more important to them than anything. And so it must be with God's people today. We are called to be precise in our convictions, as well as orthodox in our convictions. Jacob Arminius was a rogue Protestant, 
The bread and butter of both Calvin and Beza was exegesis and proper hermeneutics. Their commitment to truth was rooted in their commitment to the Word of God and the plain teaching of Scripture. Recently we have seen a resurgence of Calvinism, and for this we must be grateful and hopeful. But we must also remember that Calvinism is more than five points. It's far more precise and broader. We must be careful not to be enamored with the so-called five points of Calvinism to the detriment of neglecting the other points of Orthodox Calvinism. We must be students of Scripture who love theology, read theology, and apply theology. And we must know what we believe and why we believe it. Furthermore, we need to understand the value of historical theology. Historical theology is an enterprise that guards us from heresy. Because apart from historical theology, we could fall into the trap of Jacob Arminius, the ex-Calvinist. This has been a podcast of Today in Church History. To access more of these podcasts, you can visit my website, www.pastorandrewsmith.com. The website also includes articles and sermons.